Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. During this sermon series, Raising Up a Voice, we are going to be investigating the idea of making disciples. I believe that God has set eternity in the hearts of all men. And we all want to make a difference that lasts even beyond our own lifetime. In this series, we're going to investigate just how to do that. So listen carefully. For more information on this message or to listen to other teachings, visit us at InvernessCalvary.com. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more through our website. Or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening today, and God bless you. fired up, okay? <laughs> uh, first of all, I want to say uh, just a public thank you to Pastor Carl for bringing a timely word last week. It was awesome. I got, I got to listen to it as I was riding, uh, riding the train uh, from Penn Station uh, uh, in New York City back down to Philadelphia, uh, and it was, man, what an awesome time. And we had, I mean, God just stirred some things in me. I was so, uh, just so thankful that God would speak uh, to us in that way. Powerful, powerful time. And so this morning, we're going to begin a brand new series called Raising Up a Voice. Raising Up a Voice. And I'm not talking about shouting, shouting at home or uh, uh, some, some kind of new singing competition. No, no, no. It is this idea that we are called as a church to raise up earth-shaking voices for the kingdom of God. John the Baptist came preaching saying, I am a voice. He knew he was sent from heaven. He knew that his life was meant to have an impact and would as long as he kept in step with God's assignment for his life. But there are those who have been entrusted with the assignment of raising up a voice. That's you and I. You see, we have to say yes to the assignment of becoming spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. We have to say yes to this assignment. You see, in, in 1 Corinthians 4.15, it says, uh, the Apostle Paul says, For though you, you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And even in the early church, he said, There are many people who want to stand before you and declare the principles. But there are not many people who want to get involved in your life and, and, and take you from the birthing process till you are walking in your calling. And I believe part of our assignment as a church is to take people from being born again, being born from above, and to give of all of the giftings, all of the talents, everything that's in us to actually impart those to the next generation. 
We're called to be spiritual mothers and fathers. You say, well, how, how, how can you say that? Because Matthew chapter 28, the one that we call the Great Commission, uh, it, it says these words, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. I have this, this, one, this one terrible question to ask at the very beginning of this message, which has truly uh, been uh, uh, both a motivator and an indictment. Are you doing Matthew 28? Are you making disciples? I can remember as a youth pastor being struck by this verse again. Not for the fact of, of just, you know, growing people up as a pastor, but as a, as a saint in a body. Am I making disciples? You see, here's the, here's the issue, church, is that when this verse is preached, many of us say, amen, amen, and silently under our breath, you do it, pastor. <laughs> oh, I can't baptize people. I don't have the credentials. Really? John the Baptist didn't either. Came a different way. Anointed by God, I want to ask you this terrible question is, are you doing it? Because James tells us that, that listen, you can actually hear and not do and be deceived. We have this yes that's yes to the principle, but no to the practice. And I believe God is, is, is wanting to awaken us to the possibility of what can actually be produced with our lives in His hands, led by His Spirit. And we're going to talk about this in the first message in this series called The Journey of a Father. According to the latest research, listen, 31% of evangelicals, these are the people who agree that it is 100% our responsibility to share the message of the cross. Only 31% of them shared the gospel with one person in the last 12 months. That means nearly 70% of the church has remained silent about the only hope that will change the world. Now, I'm not talking about all the different denominations who kind of go back and forth about whether they believe it's their responsibility. I'm actually talking about the people who are convinced that it is our responsibility. Only three out of ten. But I believe God is shifting that and changing that right here. We have a responsibility to reverse this trend. And by God's Spirit and His grace, we will. We will answer God's invitation to be a part of a global awakening. Do you know right now, there is a global awakening taking place in Christianity. It's happening right now. In some of the most war-torn areas, some of the most persecuted areas, there are literally thousands of believers literally being awakened in Iraq, in Iran. Afghanistan, 
China. Powerful moves of the Spirit. Many people coming to Christ. It's not what you hear on the news, but it is exactly what is happening. Millions coming to the Lord in China under intense persecution. But God wants to release a global awakening, uh, awakening also here in America. But I, I believe that the Holy Spirit has pressed into me actually what needs to happen in spiritual fathers and mothers in preparation for what he wants to release. We're going to look at the life of Elijah. A couple of weeks ago, I shared a message about Elijah, and I just encourage you to go back and listen to that. But Elijah has a history with God before we get to the text that we're going to use today, which is 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah has a history with God. Listen to this timeline. He comes onto the scene and the first thing he does is he prays for a drought and it happened. Elijah is then fed by ravens, bread and meat, and he drinks at a brook called Cherith. Then sent by the Lord, he supernaturally has food to increase at a widow's house and it sustained not only him but her and her son as well. Her whole household. In just a few short days, Elijah will raise her son from the dead. God, through Elijah, in chapter 18, answers Elijah's prayer by fire. Do you remember this standoff? He calls for the public. He says, this is it. This is the showdown. 850 false prophets show up, and one Elijah, and Elijah says, you go first. The God who answers by fire is the true God. They dance around, they cut themselves, they ask and plead and plead. At one point, in the Hebrew, this is hilarious, Elijah actually says to them, maybe your God's in the bathroom Bible is awesome. He then says, you soak ours. You soak this offering in water. By the way, they were still in a drought. You soak it again. You soak it again. You soak it again. And then, and then he called out to God and God answered by fire and licked up the water. Elijah then slays all 850 prophets. They're slain right there after that. He then prays, and the drought ends. Then, supernaturally, because the hand of the Lord is on him, he runs ahead of King Ahab's chariot 17 miles. Man, the Lord knows if he called me to run 17 miles, it better be supernatural. <laughs> Woo! Elijah has a history in God. But Elijah to this point has not produced a son. He has a history in God. God's done a lot of things in his life. 
seen a lot of miracles. But he doesn't produce a son. I think that sounds a lot like us today. We have a lot of history with God. But are we producing the people that God is calling us to produce? Let's look closer. I believe that there is a journey for spiritual fathers and mothers to take. And they're found in these three simple statements. The journey includes the crisis, the cave, and the cause. It includes the crisis, the cave, and the cause. Let's first by look at the beginning of 1 Kings 19 and we'll begin to look at the crisis of Elijah's day and see if there's any application to ours. And it says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. He has just slain all the prophets, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. It's King Ahab, this compromised king, tells his wife Jezebel, who was connected to, to all of these dead prophets, and then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, the, one of the slain prophets, by tomorrow at this time. And when, he, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he laid and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a, a cake baked on coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, there is a lot in this statement, but I, I, I want to begin with this idea. Elijah has been obeying God. He calls a drought. The drought is symbolic of the, na the, the nature of the nation spiritually, that they are dry spiritually, his own understanding was is that when he called an end to the drought through prayer and God ends the drought, he must have been thinking, we are on the cusp of a revival in this nation. He must have been thinking, Ahab is going to repent, Jezebel is going to repent, and this nation is going to turn back to God. But it did not. Actually, something quite the opposite happened. You see, disappointment arrives when our expectations are not met. And Elijah expected after three and a half years of drought and a supernatural display of the one true God that the king and nation would repent. And it didn't happen. And this is where I believe many believers are today. They're disheartened in the crisis. There is a major pressure against believers today in this nation and around the world. 
There's a major persecution going on. Matter of fact, it, it's kind of subtle here in the States that it seems as if everything is anti-Christian and pro-everything else. And everything in our culture is actually saying, listen, just go behind your doors. Get another lock. Store up some food. Hide. Be quiet. And just protect yourself. I believe many believers are disheartened by the crisis that's already going on. Even with the many signs and the proofs and the breakthroughs and even the miracles, the notable miracles that have happened within the church, even the, the social programs and the acts of service by the church, and yet publicly Christians are maligned more than any other group. They're more persecuted. And much like Elijah, we simply run we run from our responsibilities to a lost and dying world in need of a Savior, silenced by a threatening voice of a demonic queen. You see, I, I think some of us, have, you know, we believed and we were praying for a family member or, or maybe it was a coworker, and we thought, man, if they would only see a miracle, if they would only see the power of God, can I just tell you that the power of God is not enough to convince an unbeliever. There is one thing that is powerful enough to convince a believer. It's been the same all along. Jesus said it. He said, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. It is a revelation of the sacrifice of Jesus that brings believers. But sometimes we think they just need to see some kind of different evidence. And most of the time we'll get ourselves into a place of disappointment because we try to use something that God didn't intend for us to use. It's still a cross that draws. And it's still a grace that comes from the Holy Spirit removing blinders from people's eyes. That's how people get born again. But there is a voice, a threatening voice of a demonic queen. You see, Jezebel wasn't only a queen in the Old Testament. She's a spirit that shows up in the book of Revelation. And she is consistently trying to silence the true church. And I believe with all of my heart that the 70% are giving in to this demonic spirit. I was walking in this place, January, uh, January 29th, 2015. We're in the middle of a fast. And, and I, I heard the Lord say this. He said, a deaf and mute spirit are scheming together against the church. And then he said this. He says, the church that is healed in their ears will begin to speak with authority. I believe it's a Jezebel spirit that's trying to keep you quiet. It's trying to keep you. See, there's this crisis going on saying, yeah, but if I step out, I'll lose my job. If I, if I step out, I'll lose my friends. If I step out, I'll lose my... That voice is a voice of the devil. It's a voice of a spirit that is contrary to the gospel. There are believers today in the Middle East who say, 
I stand for Christ, and if I perish, I perish. It's easy to grow discouraged when our expectations are not met or when we see the faithlessness of those around us. It's easy to grow discouraged in the crisis to the point of giving up when we feel that our efforts have gone unrecognized or even seem fruitful, uh, fruitless. The Apostle Paul, though, offers some words of encouragement in Galatians 6, 9. He says, and let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. If we do not grow weary. I love this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. You know, I, I, I love this because the picture of this journey of the Father shows in the middle of the crisis the grace of God. Elijah is running and running and stops and goes to sleep. And then an angel shows up and cooks him a little something, gives him something to drink. And Elijah goes back to sleep. But here's the grace of God. The angel comes a second time. Kicks him in the side. Get up. The journey that you're on and that you're taking, you're going to need to eat. Can I just say this to you? You may have had a fire burning and gone to sleep. I'm telling you, God has sent the Holy Spirit today to come knocking again at the door of your heart and say, it's time to get up and feast on his word and drink of his spirit again because the journey that he has for you to becoming a spiritual father or mother, you're going to be sustained by a word or, or food that comes from heaven. So if you found yourself in a crisis and your life looks fruitless right now, it's time to get back to feasting and drinking on what actually brings you strength. It will not be found on the television. It will be found between the pages of Genesis and Revelation. The strength of God will surge in you in the place of prayer, where you drink of His Spirit, in the place of worship, where you are flooded with His awareness. If you find yourself in a crisis and you're like, God, I don't know if I can make it, go back and eat and drink the only thing that will sustain you. So it's in this moment, Elijah ends up in a cave. So what do you do if you find yourself feeling the press of the crisis coming against you, your assignment in God? You go find a cave. I call this place the cave of encounter. 
In verse 8 it says, So he arose and he ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into the cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. I love this. Uh, uh, another Hebrew uh, uh, um, version kind of says it this way. There was a gentle blowing. That word voice can actually mean a blowing Meaning that when God showed up, the atmosphere shifted. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. This is the cave of encounter. When you find yourself somewhere God never intended you to be, ask for a fresh revelation of God. Notice the question from God, what are you doing here? But did you know just a few verses earlier, the angel said, by the way, where you're going, you're going to need a little more food. Oh, how bizarre. That God knows where he's going, but when he gets there, he says, what are you doing here? Perhaps he's just not talking about his location. But he's talking about the condition of his heart. What are you doing here? Broken and faithless. What are you doing here? And when you find yourself somewhere where God never intended you to be, you need to ask for a fresh revelation of God. The Lord gave Elijah a new revelation of himself. Elijah witnessed the unlimited and tremendous power of God in a wind so powerful it broke apart rocks and mountains, an earthquake that shook the very foundation of the mountains, and a fire, per, perhaps lightning. But God was not in the wind, earthquake, or fire these were merely manifestations of God's power. Then he came in person. I want to say this to you today. If you find yourself in a place where God didn't intend you to be, you don't need only the power of God to show up. You need the person of God to show up. 
You need God himself to show up. You need a fresh encounter with heaven. And I believe the church needs a fresh encounter with God. Most of the church has a theological relationship with God. More of a relationship with how to think about God than with God himself. And we can talk about our theological ideas and even our differences. And I, I think it's a, it's a worthy thing to, to want to understand the scriptures perfectly. But the Bible is a means to relationship with him. The church needs a fresh encounter with God. We know our history, but if we are, are going to embrace God's future for us, we need another nation-shaping moment in the presence of God. You see, Mount Horeb was the site where God forged Israel together originally. It is the place where God came down on the mountain and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Elijah runs perhaps hundreds of miles to that mountain. That place where God wanted intimate relationship with his faith. He didn't want everybody to come up the mountain. He told them that if they do that, you're going to die. But he did want them to come close enough so that they could hear him for himself. You're going to read about that in Exodus chapter 19. But Exodus chapter 20 gives us insight into what actually was happening on that mountain, verse 18, it says, Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightnings and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. They said to Moses, You speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Uh, here's, here's, here's the scene, that God comes in such power that they say, uh, no, that's too much for us. We're afraid of that. I, I, I'm convinced this is where we are. Some of us in this room, we're afraid of the cave of encounter. We're like, Pastor, will you just hear for him, from him? Just tell us what he said. Because it's kind of scary to go into his presence for myself. Because if I go in there, what is he going to ask me for? The same thing he's already asked you for. Everything 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 and we need to have another church shaping moment in God's presence if we're going to produce the sons and daughters in the next season we need a fresh encounter in this one so how do we have one how do we have one it's actually revealed in verse 13 I love this it says so it was when Elijah heard it what that calling of the Lord, that voice of the Lord, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, 
What are you doing here, Elijah? Listen, if you want a fresh encounter in the cave, if you want to have an encounter with God, this is how you do it. See, a mantle is symbolic of the giftings, the calling. Let me put it to you another way. This is a, 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 a New Testament way of saying it. The grace gifting that was resting on him. The word for grace gifting is charisma. Comes from the Holy Spirit. There were only three people that were, uh, had the Spirit in the Old Testament. Prophets, who is Elijah, priests and kings. And so here he has this grace gifting, this mantle resting on his life. And when God invites him in the middle of his crisis, in the middle of this, this moment of running back, he wraps his head in his mantle. Let me say it to you this way. If you want to have a real encounter with God, you have got to get the mantle of grace wrapped around your thinking. The mantle of grace wrapped around your mind says this. He loves me because of what his son did for me, not because of my performance. And therefore, since the blood of Jesus has separated me from my sins, I can come into his presence with boldness. You don't have to be afraid if you will take the grace gifting on your life and say, God, I find myself in a crisis, but I'm going to wrap my mind in the truth of your undying love expressed through Christ, and I'm going to I'm going to cover everything the way I think, the way I see, the way I hear in grace. And it is grace that will lead you to a place of encounter. If you are living in a place of works, you will never, never embrace a real encounter with a powerful God. You've got to wrap your giftings, your the grace of God. It's got to cover all you see, all you hear, and all you think. But not only do you need this grace to be wrapped around you, you have got to go. You see, it says that he went to the opening in the cave. See, that means that he obeyed. Because grace will always lead to obedience. Grace that leads to licentious lifestyle and sinful lifestyle is not grace at all. It is a grace of God that teaches us that we should live holy as Titus teaches us. And it is the grace of God that will carry you from those places that you never intended to be. And you will then walk into the presence of God in obedience. You want a fresh encounter with God? Get your mind set on his grace and then do what he says to do. In that moment of seeking, in that moment of encounter, obey. And then it says not only did he go to the front, uh, go to the edge of the cave, he then stood. Notice he didn't kneel, he didn't fall down, uh, he just, he stood. See, standing is the place of intercession. You want a fresh encounter with God? I tell you, wrap your mind around the grace of God, which is way bigger than you could ever think. Wrap your mind around seeing God through his grace. 
And then say, God, I'm going to obey you. And then I'm going to stand in the place of prayer until you meet me here. I love the fact that Elijah calls this place a cave. But do you know what what, uh, Moses called it? A cleft. A cleft in the rock. A place where God comes along. And the only difference is, is God's hand was Moses' mantle. Because he covered him until he got by him. And then he could see him from behind. It was in this place, this cave, this cleft, that Moses' cry, God, show me your glory. And I believe God is trying to awaken that cry within the church again. Not for just our own good, but for the good of those we are called to reach. Because we need another glorious encounter with our God. One that leaves us changed and different. I love the fact that when Jesus goes up onto the mountain with his three closest men, Peter, James, and John, he goes up onto the mountain, and when the glory of God comes out of Jesus, guess who shows up? The two guys that got into glory on this mountain, Moses and Elijah. You think that's by mistake? No. And do, I, I, I just want to tell you, if you will become a person of God's presence, I'm telling you, you will be in places where Jesus shows up in power. Ooh, that's a good word. If you'll be a person of presence, you will be in places where Jesus shows up in power. And that's genuinely the longing of our heart. Now what I want to say next is that the journey of every spiritual father will probably always begin with a crisis that leads to a cave of encounter. But you do not stay in the cave. You actually begin to move into the cause. And the cause is revealed from verse 13. It says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel uh, as king of Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, of Mahiah. You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees, who have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I want to say this, like Elijah, out of a time of a fresh encounter with God, we need to go and anoint, that means reach, people who have their own unique destiny in God to fulfill. It is out of encounter that Elijah goes and anoints Elisha, his spiritual son. Matter of fact, the other two people that Elijah is called to anoint in this moment with God, Elijah himself doesn't do it. His spiritual son does it. Elisha. Elisha actually does the first two. Did you know that there may be assignments God gives you that your sons and daughters fulfill? You see, there's a cause. There are people right now like Elisha. They got things pretty good. 
12 yoke of oxen. We're going to hear about that in a couple of weeks. They're just going through the motion. Got it pretty good. At least they think they do. They have no idea the destiny that awaits them until a spiritual father comes and reveals God's plan for them. I want to say this to you because I'm absolutely convinced of it. Evangelism is a byproduct. A byproduct is something that is made while you are intentionally making something else. So, your, your, your pursuit is one thing, but while you're making that, something else is produced. That is evangelism. You say, well, then what are you going after that the byproduct would be evangelism? God's presence. You are pursuing a relationship with God. The byproduct of intimacy with God is evangelism. It's a byproduct. It's an overflow. And I believe the reason why the 70 are so silent is they have actually abandoned the relationship for the theology. Now listen, as I was preparing, and I want to finish with this thought, I heard these two words praying. The Lord said this to me, posterity versus legacy. Posterity versus legacy. And um, <clears throat> I didn't know what that meant. So I had to go and look it up. So I'm like, posterity. Posterity simply means this, all future generations. It just simply means people who come after. But legacy is that thing that is imparted, something transmitted or received from an ancestor or predecessor. You see, it is not, the cause of God is not to fill seats with converts, although that's good. The cause of God in our life is not to merely say we have a bunch of people that come to church. That would be posterity. The cause of God is to say we are to leave a legacy. That we are to impart something that God imparted to us in the cave. And give it away to sons and daughters. I'm going to ask you again. What do you have to give your sons and daughters? I asked it a different way earlier. Are you making disciples? I know God is calling us to. I know anybody in this place who finds themselves in a crisis moment 
who feels pressed by situations, who feels silenced by the enemy and silenced on your job and silenced in your family and silenced on every turn, you need to go and find the cave of God's presence. And it is in the cave of God's presence that he will give you a fresh revelation of who he is and you will begin to walk in God's cause. And you will not just produce something meaningless with your life. It won't be posterity. It will be a legacy for God. And God is calling us as a church to leave a legacy for his kingdom right here in this place. Let's bow our heads. Can I just say to you, the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. And I believe that right now in this place, that God is, is speaking and releasing a fresh mantle. He's bringing people out of silence and hiding. And he is offering to us all in this place a fresh encounter. Where we see things differently. We, we think that we're just all by ourselves, And yet God says, no, there's a whole lot more than you think. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, Raising Up a Voice. I believe God is going to use each one of us to raise up the next generation to follow hard after Christ. Our prayer for you is that you accept God's invitation to live the supernatural lifestyle of imparting the grace and the power of God to the next generation. Please. If this message has had an impact on you, take time to connect with us and share what God is doing in your life through this ministry. You can connect with us through our website, InvernessCalvary.com, or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again for listening to this message, and God bless.